Good morning. Welcome to Battleground this morning. It's really important this morning that you get you a, a handout here. I've got a little chart. We're going to be, I'm going to go in from preaching to teaching and back and forth a little bit this morning. And I want you to see a few things as we think about covenant gratefulness. And so as you find Malachi chapter 3, I hope you didn't see the text this morning and, and come to church ready to get beat up. I, I know if you've been around church as long as I have, Malachi 3 has oftentimes been just completely ripped out of its context of the whole book of Malachi and, and used because the, the budget is hurting. And so, you know, the, the guys tell the preacher, you need to stir up this. And so we go to here and, and uh, not going to beat you up with the law this morning. I hope your affections have already been stirred towards gratefulness. We are new covenant believers this morning. And so I'm going to bring, bring the old covenant and the new covenant today together. And I hope you see that. So stand with me to your feet. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. And listen, as we're going to just read, the Lord does not change, but we do. And so this morning, let us hear from the God who does not change. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that he will not destroy the fruits of your soul, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Lord, this is your word to a people called Israel who were prone to wonder, as we are. Prone to get discontent as we are. Prone to wonder from the gratefulness that we once had. To embrace unhealthy and destructive worldviews. Not only for those that we love. And for our families and for our towns. But for our nation. And so Lord. Bring me to repentance. Bring us to repentance. Oh God, bring this nation. But let it begin with us. Those in the house. Let it begin with the leaders today. Oh God, stir us toward a gratefulness. By causing us to see what we deserve. And causing us to embrace the grace and mercy that is offered. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Though you may not have, you may have lost it in a sense because the Lord has been in full rebuke mode here for the last few weeks. Malachi is really about love. Malachi is about love. You see, that's dangerous when you take Malachi 3 and remove it from the context of covenant love. Malachi is about covenant love. You see, when love is genuine, it's faithful. When love is genuine, it honors. When love is genuine, it's generous. When love is genuine, it's just. You know what love is by what it's producing in your life, in the lives of our communities. And so I ask you, how is your love life? Now, I know we live in a sexualized culture where someone can't answer that question and actually understand it. But have you ever seen anyone who's been married for 60 years? And you can ask them, how's your love life? You see, there's things in your life once you've been married for 60 years that's not as easy as it used to be. And sometimes it's just impossible, but not love. For love only grows deeper as it matures. You will be blessed one day to sit beside a bedside from someone who's been a couple that's been married for 60 years and watch that spouse stand beside their mate to the end. What do you see? Faithfulness, gratefulness, generosity, an abiding love that honors their spouse to the end. Yes, you see, that's the love of God. That's His goal for us today. Not simply to beat us up, not to change simply our behavior, but to change the very affections of our own heart. The love desires of people that live in fullness of joy, not discontent and misery. And we only can find it in one place. There's enemies, you see. I've been calling them barriers up to this point. But I want you to understand, I feel like by saying barrier, we feel like it's something that you could like go around. These enemies are real. They're active. It's not, a, it's not a passive barrier you can just jump over or go around. They seek to derail you. They seek to own you. They seek to enslave you. And then they seek to destroy you. And the first one we talked about last week. It is the enemy of biblical justice. It is entitlement. It's the enemy of gratefulness today. If we're struggling with gratefulness in our heart, we need to ask ourselves first, do I have a sense of entitlement? Remember what we said? I don't, we said we didn't know whether these are words, but they probably ought to be. A sense of deservedness, of demandedness, this self-centered view of justice instead of another centered view of justice. It's the enemy of gratefulness. It's the enemy of joy. And what it leads to is the other enemy, which is apathy. Israel's in full apathy mode. God doesn't care, why should I? By the way, I challenge you to take our class on worldview come January, and here's what you're going to see. Every other worldview than the Christian worldview leads to apathy. It leads to nihilism. It leads to a sense of hopelessness and despair that who cares? But that's not where Christ leads. This is the enemy. The enemy, thirdly, is idolatry. We are made to worship. We cannot not worship. We simply misplace it and put it on something else other than the Lord. These are the enemies of joy, the enemies of gratefulness. 
And here's what the Bible says. Your financial situation right now, your pocketbook, your credit card statement, your bank account is simply an objective indicator of idolatry in your life. It doesn't lie. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your what is? Your heart. So the enemy between, I want you to see it, the enemy between love and generosity is what I'm calling today non-gratefulness. So then the bridge from love to generosity is gratefulness. Don't have to tell you to be generous, brothers and sisters. I nearly need to tell you to be grateful. The Lord of hosts deserves it. The Lord of hosts deserves our gratefulness. Point number one. See, our main idea is really simple today. The Lord of hosts deserves our gratefulness. Expressed through generosity. You could say it even simply. Gratefulness is always expressed through generosity. This is not simply your relationship with the Lord I'm talking about this this morning. It's your relationship with everybody. It's the way it works. The Lord of hosts is first. He deserves it. I want you to see just three things about the Lord this morning quickly. First, his love is stunning. I don't know if you read verse 6 and see the love of God, but you really should. For I, the Lord, do not change. Verse 6. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not consumed. In other words, the reason justice has not failed on them and you today is the love of God. Remember last week? The people says, we want justice and we want it now. And the Lord says, fine, it begins with you. That <laughs> changed. Hold on a second. I want mercy. The love of the Lord is stunning. Listen to Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said it. And will he not do it? Or has he spoken it? Will he not fulfill it? That's what verse 6 is saying. The reason God has tolerated lovingly and will see patiently with Israel is because of his unchanging character and his unwavering commitment to his people. God said, you are still here today, not because you deserve to be here, but because I have set my affections on you. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. We know this verse well. The Lord says this of himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This book began with these three simple words. I love you. Malachi 1 verse 2. This is the whole book. God loves his people. And our love is expressed through worship, through generosity in all of life. This is the love of the God of the Bible, brothers and sisters, that sets itself apart. Because He chose a people that did not deserve to be chosen. And He set His affections on them. And He says, I love you. 
and I will not give up on you. It's a stunning. One theologian calls our sin cosmic treason. Stunningly, the Lord's love trumps our own cosmic treason against the God that we should worship, but instead take an untitled, self-centered opinion of Him. The Lord's love is stunning. The Lord's patience is shocking. Turn with me. I want you to see, this is the context of verse 6, but I want you to see it in Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I love this verse. We love 8 through 10. Understand the context of 2 Peter 3, 8 to 10. It's written to Christians. This is a message of hope to Christians. You see, we oftentimes get poked at. You want to be poked at as a Christian, go to college. You'll be the doofus. Christians have always been through this. This was the context. The Lord's not coming back. The Lord's not doing anything. The Lord's not going to judge y'all. We're ridiculous. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Now let me read it the way the language intends you to understand. But the Lord is... Not slow to fulfill His promises of some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all of you should come to repentance. Brothers and sisters, that is shocking, the Lord's patience. That He puts up with rebels because His kids are amidst them. And He's going to call His children, not out of a group of people to have it together, but out of a group of broken rebels going to make them family. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done will be exposed. Brothers and sisters, never mistake patience with apathy. The Lord is patient, but He's not indifferent. He's not indifferent about the injustices in this world. He's not indifferent about the injustice that happened to you. The Lord sees, but the Lord is patient. And we praise the Lord for that, that He is. Israel is there. They are given an opportunity to repent because of the love and the patience of God. His generosity, brothers and sisters, is staggering as well, physically and spiritually. So tell me, everybody raise your hand if you are over 40 years old in the room. Raise your hand up. In 1812, you'd all be dead. Did you know that was a life expectancy in 1812? 40 years old. By and large, everybody 40. And everybody you love that's 40 or over, which is me, I'm hanging on to my 40s by my teeth. And it's slipping away and I can't do anything about it. In 1812, the average life expectancy was 40 years old. In 2012, it was 80. And how dare we say that is just our own abilities? Can I ask you something? Why are you so creative? Why are you so innovative? Why do you have such ability to reason and use your minds to create, to, to invent medicines and hospitals to help people that are sick to, get, to take this, this thing that's bad and make something a shot? Why do you have the ability to do that? Because your Creator made you in His image. 
God's generosity to us. This, this is statistics in the United States. Most of us are alive today physically because of God's grace. Because he allowed us and did not destroy us in 1812. Malachi from verse 6 to verse 12 is couched in this generosity. Look at verse 12. It says, in all the nations, talking to these, these people who won't repent, these lying, stealing, unfaithful people, he says, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will live in a land of delight. Do you see this? This is his desire. We said this last week. He doesn't desire to destroy you. He desires to restore you. Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 9, we should bask in the generosity of, Spiritually, verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. I love this word. Look at verse 8. Which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. That word lavished is, is a verb. It is ongoing action. It is indicative. It is a statement of truth. He is doing it, and He is doing it in your life right now. Believer, right now, His blood is forgiving you. He is constantly, that river never stops. If you know the problems in your life, you do so because the Lord has given you wisdom. If you didn't, you wouldn't even know what the problem was. Generosity. Grace and redemption. Grace and forgiveness. Grace and wisdom to say, say, what is wrong with the world and what can I do about it? That's grace. Psalms 33, 5 says, The earth and its fullness is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. He deserves our gratefulness. So here's the question. I know your note says ungrateful. That's not the word that I'm going to use today. I'm going to use the word non-grateful. I know it's not a word. It's called a grammatical contrast. <laughs> I'm going to use that today. Because this is the question. If gratefulness is worship, then what is non-gratefulness? If gratefulness is worship, then what is non-gratefulness at the heart? What is it? So the Lord loves us. I hope that you got that point. That's why he rebukes us. That's why he corrects us. The Lord rebukes non-gratefulness. You see, non-gratefulness is non-worship. I want you to see something. Go into a little bit in teacher's mode right now. So if you got your notes, it's also up on the screen. Malachi 3 verse 8 says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? So this is the attitude of the people. Not necessarily a verbalized question. But they're saying, Remember, remember the question that they always asked everything up to this point? What? Every time the Lord says something, What? Who, me? It's to say the same thing. How? How? He says tithes and contributions. So I want you to see this because we didn't grow up in that day. We didn't have to praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. We didn't have to bring our, our burnt offerings. But you need to understand in the context to understand the text that the Jewish people had five offerings. I'm going to get to tithing in a minute. Five offerings that they had to bring. You see, three of these deal with sin. 
The first one was the burnt offering. You see, sin creates a problem between us and God. God is holy and He is just. And so sin kindles His holy anger against all that is sinful. And so they would bring an offering that would propitiate. It would remove the wrath to make way for grace and mercy. They would offer a sin offering because you know it in your life as well as me. Sin pollutes everything it touches. This is why the greatest problem in the United States of America is fatherlessness. Because the sins of the fathers pollute not only this country, but our families when they make babies and then advocate their responsibilities to be a daddy. That needed to be cleansed. Sin pollutes. And sin creates a debt. You see the guilt offering? Sin creates a debt. It had to be paid. You know that, whether you're a believer or not. That's why you struggle with a debtor's ethic in your life. Sin creates debt. You see, that's not the only offerings. There was also grain offerings and fellowship offerings. By the way, we still offer those today. That's why we come to worship. Just dedication. Stirring our affections with each other. Being thankful to our Lord for what He has given to us. You see, sin had to be removed and dealt with so that gratefulness could come. So we could offer thanksgiving and so fellowship offering. You know what that was? It was when the person, the people that would offer the sacrifice and the priest and the Lord would have fellowship with each other. That's what that offering was about. So how would they rob God? Who cares? They've just neglected it. Non-gratefulness is robbery. That's what he's calling. It's not my words, it's his. It is a apathetic indifference. It wasn't a generosity issue. It was deeper than that. It was a wicked, ungrateful heart. Non-giving. It causes all kinds of problems in, in the body of Christ. It is not a generosity problem. It's a gratefulness problem. This is a timeless truth. It's not just about church. It's about our life. The Lord rebukes it in Malachi in quality and quantity. Quality we've already seen. Malachi 1.13 said, you remember? You were bringing sick animals. You're stealing somebody else's animals and you're bringing them ore. You're bringing what you don't want. You know, who wants, a, who wants a sheep who can't see? Let's just bring that to the Lord. They're going to kill him anyway. Quality problem. But here we're singing the quantity. You see, when we say the tithe here, that's that 10%. What that was, that was different than this. So your chart, different. This is offering. Some of this was mandatory, some of it was volunteer, free will. Tithe was 10% of your harvest. It was 10% of the... You see, animals and crops were money for them. They were farmers, they were in agriculture. So 10% of their harvest, they brought what we call into the storehouse. Into the temple. And so you see on your chart there, if you refer back to it, the different animals and then part of their crops that they would bring, some for their, their sins offerings and some for their dedication offerings. 
This was offering. They also brought in all of the 10%. So there was two. So, you know, we get people using the Old Testament to try to put it on New Covenant believers, brothers and sisters. 10% was just that one part. They, they give somewhere around 23% when you add it all up. So if you want to live by the law, brothers and sisters, you grab it all of it. <laughs> just, that's what they had. That's what they were required. So, look at your chart. This is important. So if you brought a burnt offering, you got a problem with God, right? So you got to bring an offering. Just the way it is. You want forgiveness, you got to bring your sacrifice. You got one guy bringing a bull in. You got the other guy bringing a pigeon in. Right? What's up with that? So, is the dude bringing the pigeon in, is, is God going to be still a little bit mad at him because he didn't bring in a bull? So am I here today saying, everybody in here need to bring their bulls, right? More, bigger. Shame on you, right? Got to understand, this is the beauty of understanding the Bible and the context. It's about bringing the principle is first and best. You get this? The person is about their means. For someone who did not have the means, the pigeon was his first and best. He did not need to feel guilty for not bringing a bull. He brought a pigeon because that was his first and that was his best. And he brought it to the Lord. And the person who had a means brought in their bull or their sheep. In other words, stop feeling guilty to do what God has not called you to do. And I'm sorry if preachers have put that burden on you. That's a terrible motivator, by the way, in church or parenting. Shame-slapping, guilt-tripping doesn't motivate anybody for about three weeks. The principle is the Lord deserves everything, and He asks us to give us His first and give us His best. And that means all of you and everything that we have. New Covenant believer, can I ask you something? Does grace call for more or less than the law? Say it a different way. Does the Lord require you to be part of the Old Testament tithing or New Testament gratefulness? Does the Lord require for me to to impose on you a percentage that you must give or to stir your affections towards a gratefulness because of Jesus and His cross that expresses itself in generosity? Brothers and sisters, that's New Covenant generosity. Don't impose something in the old when the new is better. And listen, the new always demands more, nevertheless. Nevertheless. Matthew 5, Jesus said this over and over again. Verse 38. You have heard it was said, an eye for an, an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, you go two. If anyone begs from you, don't refuse him, but give to him. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for them. Grace always demands some more. And it does so because of the gratefulness that's in our own soul. This is love that he's rebuking him, and he's not done. He's not done. The Lord continues his rebuke in verses 9 and 10. Do you see it? 
Non-gratefulness starves the bride. And yes, the Old Testament and the New, the Lord calls his people a bride. You are cursed with a curse, verse 9. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10, it's a really important verse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Non-gratefulness does two things, practically. It starves the bride and it stops the work. It starves the bride and it stops the work. It impedes the work of ministry. Here's what he's saying. God is saying, there needs to be food in my house. Why would he say that? Turn with me to Deuteronomy. You need to see this verse. You need to see this verse. It, you see, if you're going to go to a passage in the New Testament like James 1.27 and, and remind ourselves that the New Testament Christian must visit the widows and the orphans, those that are powerless, we must pursue justice. If you're wondering where that came from, it's because our God never changes. Deuteronomy 14, look what it says. This is the whole point of, the, of giving, of the tithes and the offerings that they are not giving. Deuteronomy 14, verse 28 At the end of every three years, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce. In the same year, lay it up within your towns. And the Levites, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands that you do. Do you see why it is important that the whole offering, you see why generosity is important? Because without generosity, the work stops. What is the work? That those who are powerless eat. Listen, can we speak a little bit of truth this morning? The poor and the broken and the oppressed are unimpressed with our big buildings and our big budgets. They make them nauseous. How many of you have just had a conversation with one of them? It makes them sick that we build our big buildings and Samantha's in Gastonia being tricked out just to put food in her mouth. The poor and the broken are unimpressed. God has given them to us to care for. And you won't even see them if there is not gratefulness in your heart. Can it be, brothers and sisters, can it be that in the West, what we call blessing is actually a curse? Could it be in the West that what we are calling blessing and what we are praying to God for, God bless America, what is in our hearts when we pray that, when we say that, is simply ungrateful people raising entitled children who grow up and neglect everything but themselves in the pursuit of the American dream. Brothers and sisters, if that is in our heart, if it is in my heart, I must repent of that. Because as we said last week, biblical justice is an other-centered justice, not a self-centered one. Non-gratefulness starves the bride. It impedes the work of ministry. It burdens its leaders. Non-gratefuls burdens God's leaders. You see, if you look back at your chart again, you'll see this very clearly. Look at the offering. 
Notice, see the division? You see that on your chart? Look at just the grain offering. A portion of the grain offering was, bur- was burned. What happened to the rest? Somebody tell me. It's for the priest, right? Look at the sin offering. The fat of the sin offering was for the Lord. Who got the rest of it? The priest. The guilt offering, the fat was for the Lord. The other part of it was for the priest. And then in the fellowship offering, you had all three people coming together and partaking. Brothers and sisters, you see, the priest did not get any inheritance of land. They had given themselves to the work. And they did that work for the glory of God and for the good of the people. But they depended on the people because if the people did not give, they did not eat. If nobody brought in the offering, there was nothing to eat. Not for the priest and not for anybody in their household. That was the way it worked. So the practical effect, you see, was very simple. The work of ministry stops. And the priest have to leave their work to go put food on their table. This is Old Testament, New Testament. 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, Let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for there would be no advantage to you. When your pastor can't do the work of ministry because of finances, it becomes a burden. The legal charge in this is when these things happen, when ungratefulness gets out of our heart, our generosity is affected in all of life. And what he's saying is, when you do that, you're not simply robbing others, you're robbing him. Good news. (laughs) Good news. The Lord desires repentance. That's what verse 7 is. From the days of your father, you have turned aside my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? The Lord offers repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is about reconciliation. You know this. If you've got somebody in your life that you long for more than anything else, for your relationship to be restored. But they do not desire reconciliation. You may forgive them, but you will never experience reconciliation of the relationship to what it was till both sides repents until restoration happens. It is that way in the physical because it is that way in the spiritual. Repentance is required when we sin against the Lord and when we sin against others. So what is repentance? It's as easy and hard as ABC. We must acknowledge, we must be broken, and we must change. We must acknowledge. Acknowledgement of sin is important, but it's not sufficient. Acknowledgement is important because it's really bad to be lost in the woods. It's worse to be lost in the woods and not know you're lost. I like to watch, um, I've gotten, my family can't stand it, Christina hates it. Uh, but it's this Everest program. I, I really enjoy it. I can't stop watching it. She hates it. But uh, the first season, the guy is 300 yards from the summit. But him and his buddy has taken too long to get up. And so he, he, here's what happens. He's got his eyes. What is his eyes fixed on? The summit. But there's some guy down in the base camp, and he's objective, you see. 
And he's keeping track of the guy's oxygen. And he knows you may make it to the summit and you may lift your hands up and rejoice and take pictures for all your friends and family, but you're a dead man walking because you don't have enough oxygen to get back down the hill. So he tells him, you need to stop 300 yards and you need to turn around and you need to come back down the hill. Some of you need to listen to me today. Whether you're online or not, you're a dead man walking. Because it ain't enough to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You must be broken over your sin before a holy God. And you must say that I am sorry and that I am going to turn around and follow you. Repent is an about face, is a military language. He has told them, you've done two things. You've turned aside and you've not kept. You see that? That's both sins of commission and sins of omission. You have willingly, rebelliously not followed what you know is right. And on the other hand, you know what's right. You just find yourself neglecting it. True of all of us. It's true of them. Here's what he said. Return to me and I'll what? I'll return to you. It's a promise, brothers and sisters. God has been questioning them through this whole book about their poor sacrifices, their lack of worship, their idolatry, their unfaithfulness, their lack of pursuing justice. But his desire is a covenant return. Do you understand what that means when he says return? When we return, it means that we change. It means we stop having this unbiblical attitude toward the oppressed. That's what repentance means. And it doesn't mean anything else. It means that if we're unfaithful, we become faithful. First to God, and then to others. It means practically for them in this text, <laughs> that they bring our whole tithe and their offerings into the storehouse. But that they first be grateful, and then they'll be generous. Their promise is better than having your crops grow. The promise is that you're going to have a restored relationship hardest thing to fix in any relationship issue is to greet grace flowing again. Once communication stops, grace becomes hard. Restored relationships means grace begins to flow. So what today? I hope you get this. Gratefulness always expresses itself in holistic generosity. So I just have a couple of passages 1 Timothy 6, there's so many more we could look at. I want you to see this one. If you get out of the United States, just travel a little bit, what you're going to find is that everybody else in the world knows that you're rich. <laughs> and because we think the United States is the center of the whole world and that we're the most important thing, we don't understand what goes on in the rest of the world. But believe it or not, no matter what your bank account looks like this minute, you're rich. So listen to what God's Word warns us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. But there to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, 
storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I can't meditate on this for you, brothers and sisters, but I would challenge you to meditate on that which is truly life. I love sometimes to read other translations. The New Living Translation. Can I read this? It's the same verse. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that the promises of the Lord that He gives to those that are grateful? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That verse got a context here. Look at verse 7. For each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God blesses the grateful so that we are more able to be generous. And so today as we end... Today is Orphan Sunday. Think about that here in just a minute. But I just want you to understand here at Battleground Community Church, we take a, a, a womb to the tomb view of life. From the embryo in the womb to the invalid in the nursing home. From the student at Harvard to the child in the hood. All life is precious and it is worth our sacrifice. To go to them with the gospel and our very lives. John 1.12 How can I motivate you to do that? Not all of us can do all of that. I don't have the responsibility to. I didn't break people. I don't have the the power to fix anybody either. But by goodness, God has given me one life in the gospel. And I should be willing to give them both. John 1.12, how do I motivate you towards that? Here's what motivates me. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So no, I don't have biological children and adopted children. I don't. There was a child when my biological children were birthed. There was a time when my children were adopted, but there is only children. Only children. You ponder on that, brothers and sisters, and you will be surprised to where it leads you. I am a child of the King, and nothing can change it.
What would that look like if you practiced that in your life? Would it not look like a holistic view of life? And so today, my desire for you, my desire for me, is that our life would look like radical generosity expressed from a grateful heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And so now we come to what we call a response. This is, Lord, for us our offering. Lord, most of us in this room don't have much. We may have more debt than we have capital, Lord. We have you. And so we have everything. So, God, we want to stand. We want to open our mouths. We want to dedicate ourselves afresh to you. We want to express our thanksgiving, our gratefulness through our song. Lord, we want to go to the tables now. We want to go to the tables. By taking that bread and that cup in our hands, we remember greater love no man has than the Lord Jesus Christ who laid his life down for his enemies and made them family. And so, Lord, we will not be passive worshipers. We will be active because we will bring all that you have placed in our heart and we will lay it before you. Both what we give so that the work of ministry would come on, would go forward, but how we live. Oh God, that we would be worshipers. Not by simply what we do on Sunday, but by how we live, how we love. Oh God, we probably got an, another mess of the next three or four weeks going on in our, this United States. Oh God, would you bring a gratefulness? Would you bring a repentance? Would you bring a restoration? And would you begin with it right here? Receive our worship, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.